Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Where to Go. I'm James Atkinson, brand manager at DKI Witness. And I'm Lucy Richards, senior editor at DKI Witness. And welcome to Where to Go, where every fortnight we find out more about the world's favourite travel destinations with the people who know those places best. And today... We have a special episode. So um, we've been doing a few of these kind of travel lives kind of episodes before. It's a bit of a break from the norm, but it's just kind of fascinating to hear from people who are doing different things around the world and and having those kind of experiences. And um, yeah, today um, we are joined by a very special guest. But firstly, I'm going to ask you, Lucy, are you a bit of a runner? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I mean, I, I knew the run. answer to it as well. <laughs> I knew what you were going to no. say, uh, but uh, I know I've, I, I, I'm not a runner. I have tried. I have tried. You've got Victoria um, Park just there. It's, I know uh, it's awful, and I've, I've been told so many times to do a park. A, I've got the canals. I've got Victoria Park. So many of my friends like love park runs, and I want to. I want to get into them. I think I just can't get over that sort of first hurdle of running Mm, mm. but James I know you obviously you do like to you often go for runs you are a runner yes I guess I am these days yeah it it was one of those I mean I kind of ran quite a lot in my 20s and then um uh in various stages basically depending on how lazy I was and um but actually didn't really that much pre-lockdown and Mm. like many many people I kind of got back into it from that and now I'm back in the in the cycle and have done a couple of half marathons and stuff, which is absolutely nothing compared to our special guest. <laughs> so our special guest is um, endurance athlete, adventurer, speaker, photographer, a best-selling author, Nick Butter. So Nick kind of did a project that you, some of you listeners might have heard about a couple of years ago where um, him and, you know, he was actually joined by many, many runners from across the world. Um, he aimed to do a marathon in all 196 recognised countries in the world. Mm-hmm. He did it in 674 days, uh, a total of 5,130 miles. Um, so that is, you know, every country from, I think he starts in Canada and then um, 
goes on to the US and the Bahamas and then all the way through North Korea and Iran and where else? Uh, Sierra Leone, Kiribati, which is one of the places we're going to talk about. Um, yeah. Uh, and then ends up uh, back in the home of marathon running in Greece at the end of it. And that, does that average out about three marathons a week? Something, something like that, yeah. Insane it, when you think, I mean, one marathon is <laughs> is amazing. Three marathons a week is startling. <laughs> As I say, I've done a few half marathons. I can't understand how, uh, uh, you know, I aim to run a marathon one day, but I can't understand how you would double that. Never mind <laughs> do it three times in a week and then do it over and over again. And Nick has no. not only done this challenge, he's Incredible. done many many more inspiring challenges that we'll we'll chat about as well um but he does have um his book running the world is out now and it's basically um him kind of tying up his shoelaces going out and doing this trip all the people that he kind of met along the way running through capital cities deserts islands spectacular landscapes it's a really good read i would highly recommend it and i'm super super excited to talk to nick so without further ado should we uh, get nick on Yes, that's, let's do that. Welcome, Nick. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's wonderful to have you on, honestly. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, so in a slight change to our normal format, we're going to talk to Nick about three destinations rather than one, as he's a particularly special guest. Uh, and those are three destinations that he's particularly passionate about. So Kiribati, I nearly said it wrong there, uh, <laughs> Guatemala and Nepal, uh, three incredibly interesting places, and we're really looking forward to hearing about them. So First, we'll start off by asking Nick some questions about his illustrious marathon career. So Nick, I kind of wanted to start off just by asking the question, why running? Why is running sort of so, so special to you? Have you always ran? Yeah, well, I suppose running came about through everybody runs to keep fit at some point in their life mm. through some form of running even if it's only i don't know to the fridge or down the stairs or something like that yeah, but yeah. <laughs> for me as a as a youngster as a kid skiing was something that was it felt like it was in my blood i was first on skis at 16 months old oh, and wow. did lots of skiing all over the world and my parents were very um brilliant with me and, and, and took me to lessons when I was very young I then went on and joined um the under 19 snow sports England ski team and went on to to ski for slalom in the under 19s GB ski team yeah. and so basically skiing was the sport and you ask why running it's because running doesn't require any snow and so <laughs> it's a lot easier to get better at and a lot easier to train for. Yes. Um, and so no, the, the full story is that I, I kind of grew out of, of skiing professionally and had a real job and then I was using running as a, a form of, I guess, therapy and meditation, mm. kind of cross between mm. the two, without really realising that that was the case, but just using it as an opportunity to escape the office mm. uh, and the and normal life. Um, and then I got better at it entered races started to get noticed by a few sponsors and before i knew it um i was then having some crazy ideas about running multi-stage events and then ultimately decided to run a marathon in every country yeah and so was there something specific that inspired you to do that to do the 196 adventure? yes Yes, there was. So I guess all my life I've been kind of edging towards this, what I call this cliff of adventure, where I've just kind of been pushed by individuals all throughout my life that have either, you know, lectures I've gone to like adventure lectures or individuals from friends and family that have either lived amazing uh, experiences or have suggested things to me. And, I, and I've, you know, sailing as I was a, a young boy and skiing and, and tennis and all of those sort of things. Mm. And then learning to be in the mountains more. And so 
I was edging towards that. And eventually running was this form of uh, an outlet. And I entered a race called the Marathon de Saab, which mm. many of your listeners may know, out in the Sahara Desert. Um, and so in that race... It's really famous thousands. as a hard race, isn't it? It's a... It's a supposedly, yeah. And to be honest, I can see why it's the hard. It's supposed to be the hardest race in the world because yeah. a lot went wrong for that race for me. Um, I, I, I wanted to do really well in the race. There's about a thousand people that take part. Um, you spend a week in this grueling heat through the desert um, under this amazing blanket of stars at night. Mm. It's just an unbelievable place. But you get put in tents with seven other individuals that you've never met before and you live mm. and breathe and everything else for a week. Um, and one of those people was, was Kevin. Um, Kevin mm. Weber and he was the guy that eventually was the last person to push me over that cliff of adventure if you like um, and he had this this sad story which was he had uh, terminal terminal prostate cancer mm. um, and he told me that while we were racing out in the desert and what was so strange with this scenario was that Kevin knew uh, Kevin had this amazing smile and, and it was just beaming throughout the whole of his life and the whole of this race that we were experiencing together and I thought, what is this disconnect between him being so happy and yet he's telling me that he's potentially only got two years to live? Mm. And it was this realisation moment that he was living his life with an understanding that it was going to end very soon. And I realised that so many of us just fumble from one day to the next without mm. any intention. And he said to me, uh, don't wait for a diagnosis, were his, were his words. He said, don't wait for something uh, to, to happen, to change your life and so you can follow your dreams. And I thought that I was already doing that really because I was... I was running races all over the world. I'd kind of eventually quitting my job. Mm. Uh, and, and I said, no, no, what would you do if you could do anything? Um, and I thought, well, I'd love to run a marathon in every country in the world. And I thought either it had been done many times or B, it was just completely and utterly impossible. Um, it turned out that it was more the latter. Um, and it was very expensive, <laughs> very difficult. Um, and that's why nobody had done it. So that's the kind of the story is why I got there. It was a lot of people pushing me towards that adventure cliff, but Kev was the was the ultimate the, the the message that pushed me over the edge, and of course, I wanted to do something to to raise some money for for Prostate Cancer UK as well to to help fight his his cancer. Um, mm. And I suppose the rest is history. And and you did end up kind of raising what was it like uh, about two hundred thousand pounds or so for Prostate Cancer UK? Yeah, that's right. So I think with some of the offline donations that have come in since, and it's still an open page. I hopefully it will always be open. I think we're up to about two hundred seventy thousand now. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. Well, well, uh, let us know later in the podcast about how we can uh, we can go on and donate. Yeah, cool. But um, um, but yeah, it's 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 such a kind of inspiring story. I mean, uh, I. I've been reading the book over the past week. I can't believe you start off in Canada in minus 25 <laughs> degrees temperatures. Yeah. And then it wasn't supposed a couple to be of weeks later, cold. it's like 40 plus in Haiti. It's, uh, I, yeah. From I mean, one to the next. Yeah. That first week was a little bit chaotic because you've got the huge adrenaline of spending two years of your life planning mm -hmm. the trip. You know, it's, it's such a long time to plan and then you're just desperate to get going. And as mm. soon as you get going, you think, ah, wow, I've now got two years ahead of me of running three marathons in three different countries every week for like 96 weeks without stopping. Um, yeah. And all sorts of things. And like you say, the extreme temperatures of, of, of Canada and then going into Haiti and then eventually later on in the trip, we were in uh, Q8 and mm. that was the hottest start experience, which was 59 and a half degrees. So stupidly hot. Oh my yeah. gosh, I can't even fathom that heat. <laughs> 
I'm glad I can't remember the heat either. Yeah. <laughs> a few years ago, London got up to 37 degrees, and I and thought that, that was yeah. I thought it was melting. <laughs> 59 <laughs> is is pretty ridiculous. I mean, um, uh, which is which is pretty incredible. And we're going to talk about kind of three of your favourite destinations. I know it must have been pretty hard to sort of pare it down to just a, yeah. just a couple uh, <laughs> yeah. from the journey. But you've also taken on kind of many other challenges. So. Uh, I was reading that you you ran a marathon in your van in lockdown. Um, uh, yeah, so we did. Uh, so in the first lockdown, lockdown one, um, I everybody was doing things like running around their balcony or their garden or yeah, yeah. things like this. And I thought, well, hang on a minute, I could do this because I've done lots of silly small laps all over the world, um, like running in the Vatican, for example. But in uh, in lockdown one, I ran two and a half thousand laps around our Mercedes Sprinter van. Um, Christopher, to, right? To his, name's, his name's Christopher. Yeah, we've, yeah. Yeah, we've called, our, called our van Christopher because, <laughs> um, well, for a few reasons, obviously Christopher Columbus, St. Christopher, and my brother Christopher, who is the mm-hmm. one that uh, helped build and convert this van for us. So yeah, our <laughs> There's van loads of Christophers in the book as well, isn't there? Um, uh, that you there can are. Come, come across. Um, I noticed it, it's a it's a referring kind of refrain that Christopher's <laughs> pop up for sure. Um, but you managed to run two and a half thousand laps of that. Yeah. So the, the van was the, that van one was kind of an intermediary thing with getting really fed up with not being able mm. to do stuff mm. because of COVID and thinking what can I do that's relatively safe. But uh, shortly after that, actually, we were planning to do uh, a trip which was going to be to set the record to run north to south of Malawi. And we got all of that ready to go. And because COVID was still around, it was just not going away. And I think the whole world was expecting it to go away quicker than it than it did. Well, and it hasn't really. Um, mm. And so we planned Malawi and then couldn't go because of COVID. Mm. And then all of a sudden we had this window where Italy uh, was all of a sudden a green country again. We could go to Italy. And so the next thing we did was uh, very quickly, in a matter of days, plan a trip to run north to south of Italy. Oh, wow. um, and off we went in the van, uh, Nikki, Poppy and I, and we ran from the very north to the very south of Italy. Well, I did the running, Nikki and Poppy were in the van, um, being support. <laughs> Couldn't have done it without them. Oh, uh, and yeah, we did 100 marathons in 100 days down through Italy. So that was just in that beautiful little window between the, the next of the lockdowns coming. So we were very lucky to get away then. That's that. that- that sounds pretty incredible. And I know you've just done a, a, a new challenge really recently, which was running up and down the whole of Great Britain as well, right? That was, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we called that Run Britain. So that was my journey. We started off in uh, St. Austell, Cornwall, and we mm-hmm. went anti-clockwise around the entire coast. So it wasn't just up and back to the you know, to the top, oh, to the bottom. Wow. It was all the way around the edge. Um, so that was uh, aiming to do two marathons a day for 100 days. I had a few injuries and a few broken bones. Um, so it took me a couple couple more days, but we did, uh, we did the 5,250 miles in uh, 128 days, and we beat that record by I think just over 220 days so um, yeah circumnavigating Britain on foot is, is brilliant because I get to say I've I've visited every beach in Britain now. So. Yes. I, I love to love how casual you sound about that yeah, as well. Like we just decided to do a little trip, just a, just a small <laughs> one, just two marathons a day, easy, no problem. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, 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 that's the kind of how I get myself into these things. I think, oh, that would be okay, and then four months later, I'm still slogging it out, doing twelve-hour days. But um, no, I honestly, that was one of the phys- most physically challenging things I've ever done by a long way because it was just uh, I lost, I went from eleven percent body fat down to two and a half percent body fat at the end um and 
Andy was my right-hand man who was driving the support van, Mickey in this van as well. Um, and of course, Poppy and all of, we had about 3,000 runners that came out to support us and, you know, Brilliant. signing the book along the way. That was lovely. Having oh, lots of people yeah. thrust the book in my hand and say, can you, can you sign this for me? Or I love this bit about the book. And um, that was really special. Um, but I'm not going to do it again because it was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, who can say that they've seen every single beach in Britain? It is quite an incredible achievement. Yeah. Um, and- Absolutely. Uh, Nick, I mean, I full disclosure, I am not a runner at all. So honestly, you'll see me, for <laughs> listeners, we are on video. You'll see me aghast with my <laughs> chin on the desk. So much time. I think what you do is amazing. But do you have any advice for budding travel runners? Like, where, you know, where's a good place to, to start? Oh, yeah, I think, well, I guess travel running, the beauty is, well, put it this way, a lot of people assume that when you go away to run in foreign countries or a foreign marathon, you're going to end up spending loads of money and it's too expensive. That's Mm. just not the case. If you pick your time right and you plan it far enough in advance, from my experience, you can more or less get from Britain to anywhere in the world return for about £400 or less. Um, mm. if you, and I'm talking, you know, tiny islands in the middle of nowhere, if you plan it far enough in advance, then you can get there. Mm. Um, so that's certainly an easy one to, to say is don't expect it to cost loads of money. It doesn't have to be. Um, and the other side of it is some of the races you can enter in, in Britain that are maybe just down the road from you may cost a couple of hundred pounds, yep. but you've got the likes of, I don't know, Barcelona marathon, which is something like 50 euros and you get a free pasta meal in there. You get a free massage afterwards, cool. a medal, what? you know, the flights are really cheap. Yeah. You get some really so good cool. value marathons. So, um, uh, if I, I had, I would say though, that it's not just about doing marathons. There are amazing countries out there that don't host many marathons, but they do have five Ks or 10 Ks. Um, and yeah. you have thousands and thousands of runners take part. So, uh, yeah, try and find, find places off the beaten track a little bit. That's, that's certainly a special place. Like, it's like Sierra Leone, um, mm. the, the runners and the kids I ran with in Sierra Leone, there's a race out there called, uh, the street child marathon, which is a charity. And, it's ran in McKenney. And honestly, some of the beaches out there are the, the best I've seen anywhere in the world. And you just run with thousands of kids that are cheering and shouting. And uh, it's so much better than just a, what we would know as a standard marathon, I suppose. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. I mean, uh, one of the things that kind of really stood out to me for, from the book is like you almost celebrating running as a community and as a, yeah. as, a as a thing that you do with other people. I think um, I was talking to a friend at the weekend because I've just in the past couple of months i started doing a local park run like nothing yeah at all but um it's i was sort of like trying to describe how fun it is to run with other people and how you kind of go for a coffee afterwards and it's like kind of yeah. a nice time to see all of your community and my friend was just like no i run for myself i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to do that i don't <laughs> want that embarrassment but it the book is a real real celebration of like you know uh, oh, connecting yeah. connecting with other people through running and and you know kind of making new experiences you make friends in nearly every single place that you go to i really is... uh, i really do and you're absolutely right the, the running community and gen the general humanity of our planet i think we are completely take for granted what we have and maybe the news sways that somewhat and we see lots of bad and evil things happening but in my experience of every country there are more people 99.99 percent of people out there are 
so selfless and giving and incredibly brilliant human beings and not just runners but especially when you combine runners coming together for runners you then get this extra special magic and everybody's mm. just on a on a brilliant high and you talk about having you know running for yourself and i think you can have both you can run mm. for yourself and get something from yourself whilst also being around all of these brilliant people um there's a story that i, I talk about when i do my uh my, my theater talks and, and things and i think i put it in the book but when i when I came back uh, for two days around the Christmas break at the beginning, so I'd just done a hundred marathons in a hundred countries on on year one, and I was coming back to pick up a different passport, so get a whole new set of visas for the rest of the journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, on Christmas Day, uh, I had sixty-one different nationalities text me and wishing me happy Christmas from the from different places, and I, I literally cried with with excitement and just. I couldn't believe it that all of these people all over the place, 61 different nationalities wishing me happy Christmas. Um, So if that's not a celebration of the running community, I don't know what is. So Nick, we are coming back to your amazing journey uh, running the world. And uh, you've picked out three destinations. I know it must have been pretty tough uh, to talk about. And the first one we're going to talk about is Kiribati. So for those who don't know, uh, tell us a little bit about Kiribati. <laughs> Kiribati is a Pacific island, a tiny Pacific mm. island. Uh, if you were to write it down, it looks like it's pronounced Kiribati, yeah. uh, but it's pronounced Kiribati, which I got wrong for a very long time. <laughs> uh, and what I love about this particular place is, A, you have to jump through hoops to get there because you have to fly from multiple places, you know, ex- change flights in Fiji from one flight from Fiji to another Pacific Island. And then you wait there for a couple of days and you eventually get to Kiribati because it's so far away. Mm. Um, And you land and it's a tiny, tiny Island. uh, And most people live their life by sleeping in hammocks, fishing. Maybe they have some goats and chickens and that kind of thing. And then they just share their food and then they repeat the next day. And that's their life. There's very little electricity. Mm. You've got a few generators on the Island it's incredibly laid back and you have just ocean everywhere to the point that when I started my Pacific Island leg, I was actually quite um, in fear of the ocean, which I'd never experienced before um, yeah. because it felt like one wave and the whole island was gone because it's it's really an experience of just being on a sandbank that happens to be a nation. Uh, so yeah. it was it was absolutely stunning. And, and so much of the, the place is filled with the sense of joy and calm uh you're waking up waiting up waking up to the sound of like water just lapping at your at the front door of this beautiful little um shed like cabin that we're staying in by the beach uh, and that sounds very kind of exotic and uh, and luxury but that is just minimal and that's how everybody lives it's 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 true minimal living so uh Kiribati was very very special wow and you're sort of i mean i can only imagine it must have been very difficult to th- choose three destinations but yes. how about your, the marathon that you did there can you tell us a bit about that and how that was for you yeah so that was bizarre as well which is i think every country comes with a bizarre story one way or another <laughs> um there was a, a father daughter combo that happened to be staying next to us in this room in this shed like uh cabin by the water um and they happened to be from sheffield and he he was traveling around the world around the world doing different pieces of work and they would this this daughter was uh, 12 years old and she was something like uh, lived in, I think, six or seven different countries and spoke six or seven different languages. And 
he, the father, happened to be a runner. And it was, it was, uh, it was the same, Francesca. Uh, and he happened to be a runner. And he said, oh, yeah, should we go for a run together? And I thought I would just be running on my own up and down this tiny little island. It's beautiful. Mm. But we had the most amazing conversation uh, about his experiences of traveling because I was a runner that had seen all of these countries. And all of a sudden, I stumble across a guy who's also British, who was traveling the world most of his life. And he was in his 50s. Uh, and we just shared story after story after story. Um, and that was basically palm trees either side of this sandy road you get to the end, that's it. The ocean is there and you realise you have to turn around. Mm. You then run back and then you have to then turn around again and you do a couple of laps of the island and then your marathon is complete. Um, it was hot, don't get me wrong. That was the only uh, the only yes. downside is it's very humid and hot. Um, but yeah, the, just seeing those guys. And it was also uh, the, the couple that owned this little shed-like cabin. Uh, they made me a happy, I think it was 100, country number 191 or something. Uh, so they made me a happy country number 191 cake, which was very nice. So, oh. yeah. oh, people okay, are I, nice, aren't they? I, I, <laughs> guess, I guess where you where you were on, on your journey as well, you only had five more races after that as well. So I guess actually meeting someone who'd been to all of those countries, it must have felt almost like kind of fortuitous in a way. Well, yes. Yeah. So I thought I felt like that at the beginning when I first met a few people of people that were kind of uh, country counting, if you like, trying to go to every country. And there's so few people that have. And then you meet one, and you think, "Wow, okay, how many are you on?" And they all say 64. And I'm like, oh, "Okay, well, I'm actually, I'm 165 or something <laughs> like that." Uh, and then after a while, you meet another person. And I probably met, I'd say, 10 people on my two years that were trying to go to every country. And naturally, because I was doing it much quicker, I was well ahead of them. But mm. they still had so many stories. And so by the time I was in Kiribati and with only a few to go. I was just really, I felt, I can't believe I've met another person that's doing this journey. Um, so, I, I mean, it's very lucky to be able to do that kind of thing, but I would recommend it because the you get a sense of, I don't know what the words are, but calm and uh, at one, you have this wider context of the world and all of these people that I met that were doing the same thing have, have that same aura about them. Mm-hmm. They kind of understand how the world is working. I mean, mm. that's really, yeah, super inspiring. And, um, and yeah, must kind of, I don't know, just be lovely. Again, talking about kind of community, to have that kind of community, have that kind of special bond with those kind of people as well. Um, Definitely. It's really, really cool. And, I mean, I imagine Kiribati is quite difficult to get to, although, as you say, maybe, uh, you know, if you plan mm. well, well, in, well in advance. But if you if someone was planning a kind of trip there, what would you recommend they do while staying there? I imagine just probably enjoying it and uh, yeah, enjoying the, enjoying the water, enjoying the, the way of life, I guess. I think, yeah, I think out of all the countries, Kiribati is one to get in the water for sure, because the water is just like a hot bath. It's incredibly warm and you've got lots of coral reefs to have a look around on, but mainly just speak to the locals and there was a little island that uh, we walked out onto uh, and they were setting up there's a family of four and they've just arrived on the island from the mainland of Kiribati which is still a tiny island Um, and I just got chatting to them and they said yeah we decided to come and live on this bit of island for as long as we like and they were setting up a little fire and making a little shed so I think rather than the usual tourists of let's go see this site let's go do that activity it's just chat to the locals and sleep in a hammock and be at peace with yourself and kind of be present in the moment because uh, so many of us don't do that enough and Kiribati is definitely the place to do that. Perfect. I mean, sounds magical.
Next up, we're going to talk about Guatemala. Yes. So, Nick, when was your first trip to Guatemala? Did you discover it for the first time when you were running or have you been before? Yes, I discovered it while I was on Running the World. Uh, I may or may not have been there when I was a youngster because my parents did a fair bit of travelling with us. Okay. But my, mem- my first memory is Guatemala. And um, I read the Guatemala chapter last night and one of the most memorable bits really is a volcano set off about sort of two miles into your run or so yeah that was right yeah so it was bubbling away uh bubbling away when i got up in the morning um and then shortly after being joined by some really lovely people in the hotel uh the volcano started to erupt in a more major way and the people that i was with that knew the village uh they said you yeah, know it'll be it'll be okay let's let's just run around and it was it was absolutely stunning to be running around uh, this erupting volcano and it turned out that it wasn't the, the not wasn't the, just the only time i happened to be doing it it was i think i ran around at least six or seven different erupting volcanoes in different places so i was incredibly lucky i even uh saw etna erupting then as well oh, wow. the, the particular the particular volcano maybe it's just something about me being present i don't know yeah, the, fire, uh, the fireworks <laughs> just come out for you nick but. yeah exactly <laughs> No, we, the, the, the volcano in Guatemala is a little village called Antigua and mm. it had erupted, I think, for two or three weeks after I left as well, continuously. Um, and actually it damaged some uh, small villages and hamlets around the area afterwards because it just kept flowing. Right. Um, but when I was there, it was just bellowing these huge plumes of smoke and occasionally you'd see flashes of lava kind of exiting the, the volcano. But um, that was special. Uh, but it was also the people that were there that I met that were that made the the, the place extra special. Yeah. So, so do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that is um, it's definitely it's one of the first like big connections that you kind of made on the on the on the journey. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly that. That was my first realization that this was not just going to be a few fleeting friendships here and there and a few hellos to people. It was going to be lasting bonds with people that I, I describe it in the book about. Uh, you know, if you go to the pub with a colleague or something, you may talk about football or the news or anything like that. But actually having a, a runner's connection and then mm. people selflessly coming out to join you on their runs and taking time out of their day. These people are really lovely before you've even mm. said hello to mm. them. And so that is extra special. So there was a group of people I met and, and that came running with me around the volcano. And, uh, and there's loads of stories there. But one particular was a guy, another guy called Nick, Nick Kershaw, who uh, owns and, and runs the Impact Marathon running series, which he puts on races all over the world and, and does stuff for charity as a result of them. Um, and he happened just to see me on Facebook, literally the, the, the evening before, and got a few of his mates together and said, oh, let's go and run with Nick. Um, there was, I remember one girl that was there uh, that was just planning to come and say hello and then go off to a yoga class. Uh, and she actually ended up ended up running the entire marathon. But never done a marathon before either. What? Um, so <laughs> that was that was mad. Um, but yeah, the Nick specifically, we we stayed in touch. We've ran in uh, all of the other continents together since. And now we set up a charity. Nick and I set up a charity called the 196 Foundation, um, which we launched uh, a few months ago. Um, and so he's now the chair of the foundation, which I just, you know, that goes to show that just one little connection like that uh, and have a conversation with, with somebody while you're running. Um, and he then since organized runs in other countries as well. I ran with him in torrential rain in, uh, in Kigali. Uh, and as it happens, 
two or three nights ago, I was speaking at an event and there was a, a chap in the audience called Mark, who happened to be there in Guatemala as well and not seen him um, many times since. And I ran with him in, in Kigali as well. So again, these just strange little connections. And he was in Newcastle, <laughs> you know, just little connections <laughs> just popping up all over the place. So um, the power of running and the, the power of just chatting to people, I think, is, yeah. is yeah. very underestimated. I mean, slightly different scenery in Newcastle to Kigali and <laughs> <laughs> Guatemala. Yes. Well. Yeah. Just, just a little bit. But um, uh, and, and yeah, kind of Nick um, uh, sort of sets you up with a couple of runners throughout the, uh, throughout the journey as well. He kind of he, makes connections. He does. He does. He makes connections everywhere. And, and even coming back to, to running around Britain recently, um, he happened to live near the, near the coast and he organised people to come out and run with me uh, there as well. So you just need a couple of really great people that mean well uh, to then connect you. And, and I suppose in my, if you can call this a career, it's not really a job, is it? But um, if you can call it a career, our currency is, is friends and contacts and friendship, not, not money and anything else like that. It's all about who can help each other. Um, so I promote him, he promotes me, but it's done on a completely unspoken term. Yeah. Uh, and, and talking about those connections, I ran with a, a lady in Dubai uh, called Emma, and she happened to appear on the Run Britain journey in Wales. Oh. Uh, just turn up and say, and so honestly, there's countless stories like that where people I've met on Running the World have just popped up, and I still get messages from security uh, officers in in like the Congo or people that I've met in airports that have like like I don't know uh, searched through my bag and I've just got chatting with them and taken their number and they'll wish me a happy birthday or things like that. And so <laughs> it's just it's just madness. I mean, how many Christmas messages were you up to last year? Was it? Does it just keep on what? growing? <laughs> keep on growing. I, to be honest, that was too many. I didn't even count. It was. It was a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very lucky with that. I've got to say. Fantastic. And 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 uh, just to touch back on Guatemala, um, what kind of? Uh, I know we've talked about the people and 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 obviously the volcano yeah. too. What what about the country do you kind of love the most? The the colors and the people so the mm. colors are obviously it's south america central south mm. america and it's incredibly vibrant and bright um there's a there's a laid-back attitude there which is very different to the pacific islands it's not just happy-go-lucky let's just you know the, the time will run away with us but it's a a hard working community uh and one of the one of the charities that we went to see so i offset all of my carbon emissions mm. throughout the the journey and we did four projects around the world one of them was in mongolia two of them were in kenya uh and the other one was in guatemala and so i took the time before my run because i didn't have a lot of time there so i went at four o'clock in the morning to go and visit this charity that delivers uh, water filtration devices to families in guatemala um, obviously, a lot of people in Guatemala live in yurts um, and they have to cut trees down to make fires in order to boil the water so it's safe to drink. Mm -hmm. And what this charity does is provide them with what look like terracotta flower pots, but they're very, very smart pots that filter water to clean drinking water. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as part of the, the project that uh, we were doing to offset our carbon emissions, we delivered 400,000 families with, with these pots around Guatemala. And so we got to see not only how these pots are being made, uh, a really great guy who was in charge of organising it all. And just to make sure that we were scratching each other's back, coming back to the conversation with Nick, uh, mm -hmm. I helped him organise 
the foundation that had these pots to help provide water for Nick's races in Guatemala as well. Um, so it was just this brilliant synergy of everybody coming together. Um, and, and so your question was about the, the people. If I could sum up the entire journey, not just Guatemala, but the entire journey in one word, it would be people. People mm. made this journey. If you take away the people, yes, okay, you're in lovely places. But just there's tiny moments and tiny brilliant things that happen that you, you never forget. Uh, I ran out of water many times. And in Guatemala, I had a lady who just said, said to me, water is life and, and gave me a bottle of water for free, even though she had nothing herself. Um, so I would recommend Guatemala for the views, for the people, for the, the cultural immersion of this incredibly intoxicating culture. Um, I would definitely, definitely go back. What a place to run. Are there any sort of, um, I don't know, sort of must-see sites or, or even hidden gems that you'd recommend listeners go to in Guatemala? I would try and, well, put it this way, my approach is to Google all of the really lovely must-see places and then go to the places in between. <laughs> uh, try and try and speak, speak to the real families. It's the same with everywhere because you get the real sense of the place. I mean, yeah. Antigua. Antigua is where I went, which is um, very Pompeii-esque, actually. It's very kind of cobbled streets and small little huts. Um, lots of kids playing in the streets and, and tiny little cafes out of, out of small mud huts. Um, Antigua, I'd, I'd certainly recommend. And you can see the volcano. Um, and when it's not erupting, you can hike up it too. So perhaps those, those two things. Fantastic. Amazing. If our conversation with Nick has inspired your inner explorer, you can get closer to your next adventure with an array of new DKL Witness books. Try Outdoor Europe for discovering the great outdoors with 150 activities including co-steering, stargazing, foraging, forest bathing and of course trail running. Or how about Ride, our guide to cycling the world packed with 100 adventures across six continents. Find both books at your local bookshop or click the link in our bio to browse our range. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So our third and final uh, destination uh, out of 196 uh, was uh, is Nepal, and I know uh, in the in the sort of book you um, you run in Kathmandu, Kathmandu, um, mm. uh, but part of your Nepal was one of the places that you kind of almost uh, took a little bit of time out, and uh, mm. um, and you you got to taken around a little bit of the Annapurna circuit. Um, do you want to tell us <laughs> a little right. bit about that? Yeah, that's right. So I think Nepal was, I was going to say one of, if not the 
place I had the most time on the whole journey. And it was uh, for a number of reasons about collecting new visas and, and passports at the right time and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that I knew I wanted to spend some more time in, in Nepal or Nepal, depending on how you say it. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, the locals say Nepal. So we'll go with Nepal for now. Uh, I, I, I love, yeah, I love Nepal for many, many reasons. And having extra time there uh, meant that not only could we have this experience of, of running in Kathmandu and feeling the hustle and bustle that is Kathmandu and the real city, mm-hmm. but also then spending time hiking up for four or five days up the Annapurna circuit to, fee, to see Fishtail Mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, not everything went to plan. And I think it's a little, Nepal is a little, uh, or Nepal is a little microcosm of the whole journey in itself because there was so much that went wrong. And yet it was the misadventures that happened in Nepal that, that really made it so memorable. Um, we had a, on the way back down from the Annapurna circuit and flying uh, back from Pokhara to Kathmandu on these little, little tiny planes. Uh, the plane that we were due to be getting on actually crash landed into Pokhara. And so, uh, nobody was hurt, but the plane was uh, the plane was taken out, and no way that we could get a plane easily. And so we decided that we'd just hop back in the jeep that we'd used to get to this this big hike that we just finished. And we were all pretty exhausted, um, and it was going to be hours and hours and hours, like a six journey ride in these jeeps through these kind of mud sliding territory uh, roads. Um, and to make matters worse, this huge monsoon opened, one of the worst in Nepal's history, and there was floodings. There was loads of people that had to be evacuated from Kathmandu. And all of this was coming through the radio as we were traveling back towards the city. Um, and we were told by the organizers of uh, the race, who, by the way, was another connection of Nick, who we just spoke about, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> to, to organize uh, the Nepalese run. And they said, yeah, we're going to have to cancel your run um, in the morning because there's, you know, it's, it's knee-high water in Kathmandu. Um, and this was us traveling over overland at night in this monsoon season. Um, with literally cars sliding off the road and mud sliding down these hills. And extra special was I hired this brilliant guy who is now uh, directing the the documentary for this whole journey. Mm. Um, I hired him to come out specifically to film us uh, in in Nepal. And so not only was it me... If this I'm is right. a different Chris. Yes, yes another yes. Chris, a different Chris. <laughs> guy called Chris Devney, brilliant guy, um, based in Sydney. And he, I got in touch with him through social media and I said, I need you to come out and do some filming. And he said, yeah, of course, and came out and did some filming with us. Um, and so we had him there right when everything was going wrong. So it was just perfect for the documentary. Um, and spending time with him huddled in the back of a, a Jeep when the rain felt like it was just pebbles <laughs> hitting the roof. Um, and then, of course, we got to get back to Kathmandu and, because of the brilliant drainage system, because they're used to this monsoon season, by the time we came to run the following day, it was wet, but it was runnable. Um, and that's having gone up into this incredible route on this Annapurna circuit for the week before, um, where we were covered in leeches. We were having to uh, cover our shoes and our legs, and even actually all of us, in salt in order to get rid of the leeches because there was just so many leeches all over us. Because you went um, in like leech season or something, right? Uh... We did go in leech season, yeah. We did go in leech season. <laughs> so, to, to, so much so that the, that the organisers of the run that we were going to put on, they actually organised a specific race for us and they called it the leech marathon because it was like the, the wrong time <laughs> to be there um but we we experienced the full leech season uh and managed to do this i think an eight or nine day hike in about four days um we got unlucky with the weather it was very overcast but 
we had a beautiful bit which i talk about in the book which was uh waking up every few hours in the night in this tea house at four and a half thousand meters to wait for the sky to clear so we could get a view a snapshot a photo of of fishtail mountain it obviously looks like a fish's tail but it's absolutely stunning mm. um, and we had about a minute probably no more than a minute of of view of this mountain and then we of course descended and and got on with the marathon and then had to get on with my next country so uh, very very fond memories of Nepal. And so then what was the actual marathon leech marathon what how tell us about that how was that particular run? So yeah so that was uh, it was my slowest run of the entire trip mm. because we had people running with us that were very very good runners these were the sherpas that had lugged my bags up and down the mountain the week before um, and and also got their friends to come out some kids from the schools uh, some other westerners that wanted to come and join in on the run as well um, and this route that i was just following the the vehicles and the support crew that we had with us um so i was just following them but the route just zigzagged and uh, weaved its way around Kathmandu um through uh, temples through places that were covered with monkeys uh and so much so that we had a uh, we had lunch there was a little family that we we kept running by because it was a little bit of a looped section towards the middle of the journey mm-hmm. middle of the marathon and uh this little family came out and offered us to to make make soup for us so we had Running with soup is not a good suggestion, by the way. So, um, but I couldn't say no. Um, you know that I, I tried to have the uh, the view that uh, you know the film Yes Man when you just have to say yes to everything. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I basically yeah. I basically yeah. tried to do that on this trip. And so when people say, "Would you like some soup mid run?" You I had to say yes. But yeah. um, that was another reason why I was a bit slow. But I, I ran with loads of people. We finished in the square in Kathmandu, um, and just by some magical coincidence, what was the trip after all? Uh, there was a chap with a big Nepalese flag in the middle and we asked if we could uh, we could hold the flag while we finished that run um, oh. and it was also raining so just every run as you can probably tell just had some magical quality about it uh, and like I say if it wasn't for the people it wouldn't have been half as fun. I mean one thing is kind of occurring to me about about a lot of a lot of the places that you went to but we kind of um we had a book called Unforgettable Journeys out last year mm-hmm. and that's all about like kind of slow travel and the art of traveling through and so on there's been a lot yeah. obviously race across the world and so on but actually yeah. you know doing things in countries not just staying in one place but you know moving through them talking to different people that's a big kind of theme of your book as well and 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 maybe almost a bit of a manifesto for getting out there and and getting past your kind of shyness and yes yeah you know what it is a manifesto for that you're absolutely right it is this tale of me when I was very very young uh very cripplingly shy to the point that uh you know I was almost in fear of the world Mm. uh to then to then go through my adolescence and get out of that shyness and then really break into my own of traveling around the world and witnessing these incredible places, you know, the different wealth, the different races, the different languages, uh, everything that the world offers that we are blind to uh, on our daily basis. So uh, I am absolutely fidgety to get out there and see more as soon as I can. And I'm just waiting for things to be a bit safer to do so. But I, I had the trip of a lifetime and it entirely changed my personality and I, that's a cliche to say but it's so true I, I i i'm not the same person as when i started um i have a very different outlook on the world and i'm just i suppose desperate to to see more and do more and try and uh, promote the wonders of what it teaches you to travel you know you don't have to go and do the marathons to, to have those learnings yeah absolutely i completely 100 percent agree <laughs> 
In this next section, we're going to ask Nick some quickfire travel questions. You can choose from anywhere in the world for your answers. Nowhere is out of bounds. Uh, just first place that you think of. No need to even give us an explanation. Uh, it's a okay. quickfire round. Uh, okay. Lucy, you're going to start us off, right? First question, easiest place to run? France. Oh, interesting. Great. Interesting. Yeah, well, you didn't uh, want an explanation. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm curious. But <laughs> <laughs> Um, you can give us a quick explanation if you... Okay. Yeah, only because it was uh, a fly-in, fly-out day and I was running in Nice and I literally just ran one direction and then got a taxi back and then flew. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, okay, so on the flip side of that, hardest place to run? Uh, Bangladesh, because I had food poisoning, a kidney infection and I was peeing blood. Yeah, that'll, Ooh, that'll, that'll do it. That'll Okay. Your favourite view, Nick? My favourite view has to be in La Paz, uh, Bolivia, highest city in the world, mm. overlooking the incredible tin shacks with the light, the sunrise coming up on them and just glinting off all the tin roofs. Uh, yeah, I, I'm long to see that again. Okay. Wow, fantastic. Uh, your best place to spend a day? Best place to spend a day? Oh, there's too many. Uh, I'm going to say the beach in McKenney in Sierra Leone. Uh, very untouched unheard of really uh tiny little beach uh in in McKenney Sierra Leone fantastic fab great and then most welcoming place oh, oh that's gonna have to be Sierra Leone again uh Sierra Leone or Nepal or Bali actually I was really really mm. welcomed in Bali in Indonesia uh, there's too many you only wanted one I'm gonna have to say <laughs> Sierra Leone because they were incredibly welcoming yeah, good choice. And uh, finally, finally, the next place you want to revisit? The next place I want to revisit, the place I haven't actually been to, which is the Faroe Islands, ah. uh, owned, owned by Denmark. So I didn't yeah, need to go yeah. to those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Faroe Islands, I've not been there. We've got a little plan uh, being hatched at the moment to go and run some marathons on the, I think there's 12 or 16 islands in the Faroe Islands. So um, I'd like to go and do that. Great. That that sounds Perfect. that sounds amazing. I mean, I, I think the pharaohs are becoming a bit more popular, but still quite untouched, really. And so, they are quite untouched, yeah. So fantastic choice, and that you know, very very speedily brings us to the end of the quickfire round, <laughs> and and it, uh, it kind of brings us towards the end of our, of our chat with you and our, well, our time with you, Nick. Um, uh, but it's been absolutely fantastic to have you. Thank you so much. Join Nick. us. Um, uh, just very, very quickly, for those who want to, um, uh, well, firstly, the book is out now. It's called Running the World. Yep. Uh, you can get it in all good bookshops. Um, yep. uh, but for those who want to donate to the uh, to the cause as well, is there, is there a webpage for that still running? Yeah. Yeah. The easiest thing to do is probably just Google my name and go to the website and you can see all of the different offshoots of the different charities that we're supporting. Obviously, Prostate Cancer UK mm -hmm. that we supported for that journey. And then our charity that we've since created called the 196 Foundation. There'll be a link there as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And the book is, as you say, on Amazon, on anywhere. Yes, yes, uh, and and I highly recommend it too. It's a it's a it's a brilliant read and super inspiring for anyone kind of wanting to get out and travel uh, next year. Yeah. Really, um, so yeah, yeah uh, once uh, and uh, listeners can also kind of find you on social media and uh, around and about yeah. and uh, continuing your on your speaking tour as well. I guess. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, social media wise, it's just Nick Nick Butter Run. 
uh, and that's across the whole Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram thing. And we are, as you say, uh, speaking tour at the moment. But to be honest, everything that we've got coming up in the future, we're hoping, as we've discussed already, is about the community angle, hoping to get as many people involved as possible, not just on the running and the fundraising, but even behind the scenes with helping to plan and, and execute these kind of trips. So, um, yeah, all sorts of stuff coming up. Follow us on yeah Instagram, Nick Butter Run. I, I already have, and uh, maybe even one day I'll come try and join you up, up for a run yes. as well. That would be that would be amazing. Yes, definitely do. Um, try and get Lucy along as well, maybe. Yes, there I'll you be go, the Lucy. Back. James has <laughs> volunteered for you. <laughs> Thank you, James. You have to I'll do definitely it now. be at the back, but um, it sounds like a lovely supportive group. So I'm sure there'll be someone kindly trailing behind with me. <laughs> no, no. If you're at the back, you'd be left. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> You've been warned. You've been warned. Uh, thank you very much, Nick, and best of luck with the rest of the speaking tour and uh, and the Faroe Islands trip and all your future endeavours. So once again, a huge thank you to Nick. Wasn't that brilliant, Lucy? Oh, it was. I can't stop smiling, to be honest. It was so inspiring. And dare I say it, James, maybe this weekend I might go for a run. Maybe this weekend. There we go. <laughs> Finally, it's the weekend. And we'll be joining Nick on one of his many runs. Exactly, <laughs> at some point, hopefully. At, at some point in the future, that would be brilliant. What a story. Well, we'll keep you updated. Yes, yes. Uh, Watch the space. Uh, so, you know, what a, what a career, what a story. Genuinely just so amazing. And yeah, not only has Nick made me want to run, but he's just made me want to travel and meet lots of wonderful people and get under the skin of these places and I just love his celebration of community it was fab I mean at a time when we haven't been able to travel or like long haul travel certainly you know seems kind of impossible like uh, yes. you know it almost goes out of your mind sometimes and, and actually like kind of thinking about places like Nepal that I've always always wanted to visit yeah. um, don't know if I'm fit enough to visit Nepal <laughs> necessarily <laughs> um, but, but uh, you know that uh, just you remember that there's so much more out there and makes you so excited for the future so speaking of the future i mean i've just talked about long haul travel but join us next time where we'll be visiting wales not too far away uh but equally as stunning with travel writer photographer and filmmaker ben holbrook um so that will be that'll be a fantastic episode really excited for that i mean i do have a little bit of a you know i I haven't been to wales that much before um so i'm quite excited to find out all about that so yeah, you can join us, listener, in a fortnight for that episode. But for now, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Where to Go was produced by the team at DK Witness and the wonderful Julia Baker. It was presented by James Atkinson and Lucy Richards and mastered by Johnny Coddington at Bottle Rocket Recording. For more information about DK Witness, follow us on social media at DK Eyewitness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. And don't forget to please like, rate, review and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Your support means so much to us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.